Uh, side note, Dennis, thank you for, for doing that. Uh, I met with Miss Snurley today. We need to be praying for her. Um, she's she's uh, fighting a stomach cancer, and so appreciate you guys continuing to pray for her as well. Um, encounters with Jesus. We've been talking about different people in Scripture. When they had an encounter with Jesus, what would happen? Uh, did everybody get a handout that wants a handout? No handouts given? Heath, would you help me, bud? Thank you, sir. Go ahead. Y'all, if y'all, two y'all don't mind getting those out to everybody. I only gave you a few blanks, so you don't have any excuse for not doing your homework tonight. That means you, Sham. You're going to have to write some stuff down. going to talk about tonight three different encounters that Jesus had and they're actually all out of the same chapter um, where, where Jesus was encountering these guys. Now here's the thing I want to show you as, as we look at this. There are really three encounters that Jesus had, three separate people. The, the constant in each of these three are the religious leaders the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day that are with Jesus. And so as we're reading these, not only do I, I want you to see the interaction that Jesus had with the individual that he was ministering to, but also the religious leader's response to whatever was going on. And we're going to talk about that, okay? Um, Jesus forgives, forgives and heals a paralyzed man and encounters some Pharisees. One day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law we're sitting there. Now remember the Pharisees are the religious leaders of the day. They're the ones that hold to the strict uh, Mosaic code. They're the ones that had taken the Ten Commandments and over time had turned it into 600 plus commandments. How about that? I mean, I, don't, I have a hard time following ten. You know, they've got 600 plus commandments that these guys, and so they are strict. When we say, you've heard the term by the book, these guys are by the book kind of people, Okay. So uh, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They'd come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men carrying a paralyzed man on a mat uh, and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Now, I'm not going to talk a lot about that. I've actually done a sermon before. We've got a ministry, the Four Friends Ministry, our special needs ministry, is actually based around this story. The, the cool, there, there's so many cool things about this, but think about the kind of friends this guy had that saw the need. He was paralyzed, so his four friends said, Hey, Jesus is healing people. Jesus is doing miracles, and so they took him on a mat to go get him in front of Jesus to heal him. They get to the place where Jesus is, the home, and the place is so packed you can't even hardly get into the yard. They were so, uh, they loved their friend so much and they so wanted to see their friend healed that they haul him up on the roof 
tear the roof off, get ropes, and lower him into this place where Jesus is. How many of you would like to have friends like that? How many of you have friends say, oh, man, it's full. We're just going to leave you here. We're going to go eat. <laughs> Stay here till we get back, you know, to their paralyzed friend, right? I mean, this is not a good situation. But these guys, those are the kind of friends we all want to be, right? I mean, but that, that's just one aspect. When Jesus saw whose faith? Their faith. He said, now watch this. Friend, your sins are forgiven. Did the man need his sins forgiven? Well, yeah, but why was he there? To be healed. Now, this is what I want you to watch. The Pharisees and the teacher of the law began to think to themselves, which I think is interesting. They're not saying it, they're thinking it. Think to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. This is one of, one of the scholars that I was reading today. He said, this is what they were pointing out. Jesus could say your sins are forgiven. Now, what's interesting about that is the Pharisees said only God can do that. So what is Jesus, in effect, saying? I'm God. I have the ability to forgive sins. But here's what the, one of the scholars today, I read this, and I thought it was genius. If I say, Bobby, your sins are forgiven... Can anybody physically see that? No. That's on the inside, isn't it? So Jesus is doing this to make a point. Not only is he ministering to this man, but he's also making a point to everybody around him. He says, look, your sins are forgiven, and he knows what they're thinking. Only God can do that. So Jesus says, well, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? Well, they're saying, well, your sins are forgiven because we can't see that. You see the point? So then Jesus says, now that I've made the point of that I'm God, take up your mat and walk. He just put a punctuation mark on the fact that he's God. Because not only has he said he can forgive people, but he also spoke and now the man is healed. The man gets up and walks, right? So you see that? I tell you, get up and take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. So Jesus was accomplishing. And this is one of the things, if you don't really read the scripture, you won't notice that it's there. Jesus was not only ministering to the people that were there, he was also trying to reach the Pharisees. Now I want you to understand something. Jesus met, this is in your notes, Jesus met the man, the paralyzed man, at his need. He needed spiritual healing as well as physical healing. He needed both. One of the things that Evelyn has said about Four Friends Ministry that is so true, when we see people that are physically challenged, handicapped in whatever capacity or simply have a physical challenge, we tend to focus on the physical challenge. But here's the thing. You know, Kennedy's got her one hand. Let's say God heals her and restores her hand. All of a sudden she has two hands. What's more important, that hand being restored or her her, 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 her salvation? Salvation. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, right? That's pretty awesome. Did Lazarus die again? Yeah, he's still not walking around. What was really important? 
ultimately, eternity is what's important to us. And so that we don't ever need to lose track or sight of that. And, and Jesus is, is showing us these things. He not only meets our physical needs, but ultimately he's concerned about our spiritual well, well-being, where we're going to spend eternity. Eternity is a long time. Okay? It's a long time. So Jesus not only met his physical needs, he met his spiritual needs because Jesus provides both. Physical healing and spiritual healing. And remember, the miracles that Jesus did were to accentuate who he was. And that's part of what this story specifically shows us. He's God. He's here to forgive sins, but he's also here to heal people when he needs to. Amen? Y'all understand that? Anybody have any comments about that? Okay. One of the points that I want you to look at when you're reading the scripture is try to read deeper into the story and see what God's really trying to say. There's usually, not always, but there's usually a message behind what's going on. There's, there's some cultural things that are happening. So the religious response is only God can forgive sins. Then Jesus proves his divinity by healing the man physically. Now, I told you in each one of these stories I'm going to share, which, by the way, are all out of the same chapter, they happened in sequence. These things all happened in sequence. The Pharisees were at each one of these deals. They're the constant at each one of these situations. And you've even heard me say this. How many of you like religious people? Not, not too many like religious people. Jesus does. He's not mad at religious people. He's not mad at sinners. We're all sinners. And, and so understand John 3.16, the most famous verse in the Bible. What is John 3.16? Who is Jesus talking to? Huh? Yeah, all right, you're right, the world. But who is he talking to in that specific instance? Huh? Us, but who else? Who is he, who is he speaking to in the Scripture? The priest. Jesus was talking to a Pharisee. He was talking to Nicodemus. Most famous scripture in the Bible. For God so loved the world. He's sharing that with a religious leader. Right before this chapter, right before all this started happening. Jesus is sharing with these people, God loves the world so much. He's sharing with one of these guys that's a holder of the law. Now remember, that changed Nicodemus' life. Remember, and so I want you to go back when you have time. Read the John chapter 3, Jesus' discourse with a religious leader. He loves Nicodemus as much as he loved the man laying on the mat. He loves these Pharisees that are in these, these church services that Jesus is doing just as much as he loves everybody. He's not just picking certain people to love. The problem is religious people have a hard time with Jesus. I'm going to show you why here in a few minutes. Yes, sir. They were, they were similar, but they weren't as, they were more of a Greek influence. They had more Greek influence. And there were some very big differences in some of their belief system. The Pharisees were the more specific on holding the law. Okay? All right, here's a big thought. It's difficult for religious people to trust Jesus because he challenges religious thinking. I'll say that again. It's difficult for religious people to trust Jesus because he challenges religious thinking. And let me just say something. It's the same now as it was 2,000 years ago. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Those people, that's what you'll hear. 
they're, they're loving those people. You know, they're, they're reaching out to, which is exactly what Jesus did. And that's uncomfortable for religious people, okay? You're right, Don, that's exactly right. G- here's what I put in my notes. Jesus does not fit neatly in religious boxes. He's not nice, neat, or tidy. Jesus loves the unlovable, and he goes places that no self-respecting, puffed-up, religious person would go. (laughs) Why? To reach lost and hurting people. He's a great shepherd, and the great shepherd loves sheep, and he's going to go where the lost sheep are regardless of where the lost sheep are. That's how he is. And guess what? We're supposed to be the same way. We're supposed to be the same way. We are supposed to go where the hurting people are. Not wait for them to come to us. Some will, but we're supposed to go where they are, into the marketplace, into the school. Wherever we are, we are to be the hands and feet of Jesus, not just in here, but especially outside of here, right? And that's the truth because that's what Jesus did. So let's go on down. Let's go down to verse 27. After this, this is after Jesus has just had this encounter with these guys. We're moving on. Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth selling blue jeans. Levi blue jeans. That's not in your notes. I'm sorry. Jesus walks by to the tax collector. Now understand, the tax collectors were about the most hated dudes in the country because they were Jewish people. They were working for the Romans, taking money from people most of the time illegally. They didn't like these guys. They were traitors taking your money. They hated them. Okay, they didn't like these guys at all. And so the, this, uh, for Jesus to do that, so, so get this. He says, after this, you can imagine, Jesus has just done this deal. He's dealt with these guys, healed the guy with the mat. So uh, the next thing that happens is this situation right here. So Jesus walks outside. There's a tax collector. The religious guys are already mad. (laughs) Now he walks up to this tax collector who everybody hates. And Jesus says, follow me. And Levi, watch this. Levi got up, did what? Left everything and followed Jesus. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of what? Tax collectors (laughs) showed up, and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? That's what Jesus said. Look at his answer. Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call sinners sinners to repentance. Jesus knew his mission to seek and to save those that are lost, to heal the brokenhearted, and set the captives free. Man, y'all, that's good news. You know, when I read this, and Sunday I'm going to talk some more about these things with a different set of scripture It's just the heart of God. This is good news. Because I don't know about you guys, and I hope I never forget this, but I always want to remember who I was before he came along. That I was one of them. And Jesus showed up to where I was in the middle of my mess, 
in the middle of all my junk, in the middle of my rebellion, sometime when you're not even looking for him, to reach us. And what we're going to talk about Sunday, a sermon God gave me this to talk about weeks ago and had me preparing for it. We're going to talk about first love. And in Revelation 2, where Jesus is talking to the church at Ephesus, and he says, man, don't forget your first love. And we're going to talk about what that means. And it has everything to do with what we're talking about right here, about who God loves. And, and remember, he loved Pharisees. He loved them just as much as he loved everybody else. But he goes to everybody. Isn't that good news? Man, that makes me kind of happy on the inside. All right. As the good shepherd, Jesus goes where the lost sheep are. So let's go down to verse 33. They, the Pharisees, said to, G- to Jesus, John's disciples often fasted and prayed, and so did the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. And Jesus says this, Jesus answered and said, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and in those days they will fast. Let me explain this to you. Part of what the Pharisees did is they fasted two days a week. And John's disciples followed some of those same teachings. And we all understand fasting is where you abstain from food and certain activities to spend time with God or worship or read the scripture or whatever it is you're, you're doing. And so they were asking Jesus, why don't, or why don't your disciples do, why don't they follow the law that John did and these other guys do? And Jesus, and here's Jesus' point. Again, he's talking about his divinity. He's talking about I'm God. Look, they don't need to fast because I'm here. If they need something, they can ask me. You know, hey, Jesus, hey, Jesus, I need to ask you a question, but I'm going to go fast about it. I mean, Jesus is like, no, well, just ask me. And that's what he's saying here. The bridegroom's here. So, so you know, why, why do they need to be doing that? I'm here. There will come a time, notice, he says, there will come a time I'm not here, and you'll need to fast and pray, which tells us that is something we should be doing on occasion. But right now is not the time. So again, understand the, the Pharisees, they're saying, well, he's God. That's what, another time that Jesus is doing that. If you read between the lines, that's what he's saying. So to continue fasting with Jesus present is the same as fasting and being mournful during a wedding celebration in which the groom is present. It doesn't make any sense. And that's what Jesus was showing them. That's why they're not doing that. And then Jesus told them this parable. This is important. No one tears a piece of a new garment to patch an old one. How many seamstresses do I have in here? Okay, we got a few. Okay. Otherwise, you will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new one will not match the old. Now, let me make sure I understand this correctly. What my understanding is, is if you've got an old piece of clothes and you take a patch that's new and you patch it to cover this hole, then the new one will shrink when it gets wet and it will make a bigger hole than what would be there before. Is that correct? I mean, that's what the study said, so I'm just assuming that's what that means. So in other words, you're gonna, you don't do that because it'll mess it up. But here's the one that I think is even more uh, impactful. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the wineskins. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins And no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new, for they say that the old is better. Both of these parables illustrate the fact that 
that you can't mix old religious rituals with the new faith in Jesus. You can't mix. It doesn't work. And Jesus' disciples were not fasting along with the Pharisees because they were now under a new covenant of grace with Jesus. As mentioned earlier, Jesus fulfilled the law, therefore there's no longer any need to continue with those old rituals. But notice this is the point. This is big. This is where I, where I want you to really think about. Jesus cannot be added to a works-based religion. Jesus cannot be added to a works-based religion. Jesus is saying, if you take new wine and put it into old wine skins, what happened? Here's what they did. is They actually would take goat skin, and they would put uh, new wine in a new wine skin. And what happens is that wine would ferment, and, it, and it would, the new wine skin was still supple enough that it would expand. And so it could expand with this wine as it changed. The old wine skin had already done that. And so if you took new wine and put it in there, when it began to ferment and expand, it would just simply explode. And it would tear the old wine skin up. And so it just didn't work anymore. So the new didn't work with the old. And that's what Jesus was saying. This new way of thinking doesn't work with the old way of thinking. The old way of thinking doesn't fit with what's going on now. A new patch covering old jeans is not going to work because when it gets wet, it's going to make a bigger mess than it was before. And so Jesus was making a point to these guys trying to say something to them. And part of that is you cannot do works-based religion with the faith that he's talking about. As I've been studying lately, especially preparing for Sunday, and I, and I want to say this to you because I felt like this morning I needed to, when I was doing my personal quiet time, Here's the thing, when I get ready to teach you guys, that's work to me. And so when I'm studying the Bible to teach you guys, I don't take that as my personal quiet time. I'm going to say that again. When I'm studying to teach y'all or preach to you guys, I don't take that as my personal quiet time with the Lord. I have a time that when I get up in the morning, the first thing that I do is that I study my Bible for myself. And my quiet time, a lot of times, I may be studying or reading something totally different than what I'm teaching you guys, and I do that on purpose. I don't want my relationship with God to be about work. Does that make sense? I don't want my relationship with God to become this clinical thing that I do to be able to deliver a message to you guys. Now, sometimes what I study, like this morning, will carry over into what I'm preaching, but it's not, that's not the intent or the purpose. And I don't want y'all to fall into the same thing for the whole reason that I'm teaching what I'm teaching Sunday. I don't want our faith in Christ to become a religious function. Up at 7 a.m., i got to go read my Bible for 15 minutes. I'm going to read my Bible for 15 minutes. Is that a relationship? Well, let's say you got 15 minutes. Talk, talk, talk to me right now. Hi, okay, that's it. Are we done here? I'm moving on. Is that a relationship? And I'm not saying any of this to convict you guys. I'm not, I promise. But how many of us do the same thing with God? Remember what Jesus said. It's about knowing him, intimate relationship with him. If you want to have a good marriage, you have to have deeper conversations than what's for dinner. 
or grunting men. You know, that's just, that doesn't mean anything. We have to be intentional. We have to be intentional about developing relationships. We have to spend time. We have to spend effort. And it is work, isn't it? It is work. But it's the same way with God. And here's what I began to guard in my own life is I began to realize that I was spending a lot of time studying, but I wasn't spending a lot of time in relationship or getting to know God. I fall into the same category. I'd be teaching, oh, man, I need to write, you know. And all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, we we don't need to do that. So I want to encourage you. To spend your time with the Lord and, and spend your time with Him in a knowing relationship where you're spending time studying the Word. And you know what else I've been doing lately that I've really enjoyed? And you're going to get the benefit of some of this Sunday. Oh, by the way, I want to go, go ahead and encourage you. Some, some of you Sunday may want to wear, uh, 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 bring an umbrella. That's all I'm going to say. I'm going to leave it right there. That's it. That's all you get. I'll let you think about that for the rest of the night. Just bring an umbrella Sunday. Here's another warning that Jesus says about old and new wineskins. Listen to this. We, we must not become so set in our old ways of doing things, church, business, relationships, that we fail to adapt to a new style. I'll say that one more time and then I'm going to explain it. We must not become so set in our old ways of doing things, church, business, family, etc., that we fail to adapt to a new style. Watch this. Remember, we can change style without changing our substance. And let me explain this. In other words, we can change our methods without changing our faith or our beliefs. Okay? Let me give you a silly example that everybody will understand. How many of you have the internet at your house? How many of you ha- have ever uh, talked to somebody in church and asked them if their church has a website? And they go, ah, we just don't believe in that. We don't believe in that internet. I think it's a, I think it's a fad. <laughs> I think the internet's just a fad. Well, it's not a fad. <laughs> but we have a church website. Now, we don't have to. But we have a church website, and on that website, that it, we have all the information about our events, and you can find out about our church, and four or five, six years of sermons, and videos of our events, and all those different things are on there. Now, here's what's interesting. We adapted to a new style without changing the culture or the faith or beliefs of our church. We simply found a new mechanism for delivering information. Did we change what we believed at all? No, we actually expanded our ability to reach people by doing that. But the danger that we run into in business or church or families is that we get so used to doing certain things the same old way that they can become irrelevant. And if we don't change, we're going to have a problem. If you don't change to the Internet for your realty business and people can't go online and find something, then that might be a problem. Yeah, that's right. I had a lady come in here one time. It freaked me out. She was from Louisiana. She was visiting. 
And, and I, yeah, that, it wasn't that she was from Louisiana that freaked me out, even though, as y'all know, that can happen. But I, I introduced myself to her, and she was an older lady, older than me lady, okay? And, and I'm talking to her, and I introduced myself. She goes, oh, I know who you are. I said, really? I said, I don't know that we've ever met. She goes, oh, no, I've listened to five or six of your sermons online. I have not listened to five or six of my sermons online. But before she came to our church, go ahead, Dennis, I don't need that from you. I don't need that from you. I do. But, but she already knew all about our church because she had gone to our website and she would listened to church. She knew everything about us before she ever came in the door. Because she had adapted to a new way of doing things and was taking advantage of it. But it didn't change our belief system or anything else. We have to learn to adapt. It doesn't mean we change what we believe. Businesses have to do the same thing. We've, I want to tell you the death knell of a business. We've been doing that for 50 years and we're never going to change. Guess what? Yeah, you may not change. You may not be in business either. Right? And so what Jesus is talking about is exactly that with new wine and old wineskins. We have to be willing to adapt. We don't change the message. We change the method. The Apostle Paul, if you study, this is a pastor thing. If you study the Apostle Paul and how he would teach Timothy and the other people that he would talk to, if you notice, he never told them exactly how to do something. He told them what he wanted done. And he left it up to them individually to find a way to incorporate that into the congregations of the people that they were dealing with. And that's what Christ asked us to do. We love people with backpacks. We love people with haircuts. We meet them at the point of their need. But the message is the same. The delivery is the only difference. The delivery is the only difference. I was so proud I received a flyer from a local church this week. This church is probably 457,000 years old or something. I mean, it's an old church. But I was really proud of them because I got this really cool new flyer this week. And I brought it in the house and I showed my wife. I said, look at this church. I said, man, I'm proud of them. Because I knew they were thinking outside the box. They were going, man, we got to do something. And I was really proud of them that they were doing that. And in our own lives, we have to be willing to do that. We have to be willing to expand and change and do what God's got for us because we can reach so many more people if we be willing to do those things. The danger of becoming religious is that we begin to expect people to act or be a certain behavior based on what we think they should be. And I can promise you something. The day as a church that we decide to be that way is the day we're done. We're done that day. All right? There you're at. A lot of churches are. And I look around the country and even around the world, and you see these beautiful buildings that at one point were thriving congregations. That's why that building was big. But at some point, they got religious. And they said, oh, that's what religious people do. If you ever see anybody like this, that means they're religious. Oh. <laughs> that's how you know. And they talk like this. Oh. You know. but, but they decided that day, <laughs> I'm sorry, y'all. I don't know why I do stuff. I just do it. <laughs> it just happens. Here's why it happens. They forgot. 
They forgot who they were when Jesus found them. They forgot it. They forgot they were lost. They forgot they were out. They were that sheep. And, and Jesus went out there and he found them. And, and that's the danger. The reason that Jesus was talking to that church at Ephesus the way he did is, and it's an amazing story what he did because it was an awesome church. But he said, this one thing I've got against you, you forgot your first love. You forgot what it was where you were. And it became about behavior. And we can't do that. We can't do that. We have always got to be those people that are looking for lost sheep just like us. And if we will do that, God will continue to grow our church family and he'll continue to reach people. But we've always got to be soft-hearted that way because that's how he is. Dennis? Mm-hmm. I'm reading. Man, I wish you wouldn't read my notes ahead of time because you... I told you on my own personal Bible study, I started reading 1 John chapter 4. It's one, just one chapter. That's usually what I'll read. And I, here's the other thing. I don't set how much I'm going to read in my personal quiet time with God. I don't say, okay, Lord, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to read 27.3 verses. I just sit down. I say, Lord, let's just, you know, I just read. And it's all, that, it's all about love. I couldn't believe it. John, he wrote a whole chapter, and it's all about how much God loves us. It was amazing. I, now, here's what's interesting is that he wrote all these things. John wrote all these things. You know who he was writing to? The church at Ephesus, who I'm preaching about Sunday. And he was writing to the same group of people, and he was just telling them. It wasn't about how much they loved God. It was about how much God loved them and how they were supposed to express that love to other people. And I thought, that's crazy. It wasn't about dress like this or act like this or do like this. It was about, man, I hope you know how much God loves you. Do you remember how you were? Oh, Jesus loved you so much. And that's what, and I thought, wow. And, and so, Dennis, that's your point. It, 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 we just got to love each other and love others. And, and if we'll do that, God will do amazing things. And it will keep our hearts soft. It will keep our hearts soft. And that was, I think, the reason why the Lord had me. And I can say this to y'all more than I can say it on Sunday morning because of how many visitors we have. But it's the danger that we can face as a church is that it becomes about religious function, about what we do, instead of who we are serving. And we always have to remember who we're serving, individually. And that will keep our hearts off. Because remember, that's what Jesus did. It was never about the crowd, it was about that individual. What does she need? What does he need? And then Jesus, and Jesus says, now you go do likewise, do the same thing. Amen? Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to open the altars up for a few minutes and give you guys, um, if you're here with the, the leadership team, we've got a board meeting over in the inheritance room at 7 o'clock.